today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. And he says, and they did not repent and give him glory. There's no place for mercy because man didn't seek it. His heart had grown so hard against the things of God that even in his pain, even when he realizes this is not normal, this isn't just something that's happening. It's not just that I've had a bad day. No, these are things that are coming, supernatural events that are taking place. And yet I'm going to blaspheme the one that's doing it all the way to my grave. Man refuses to turn to God. Instead, he blasphemes the only one that could have ever saved him. Have you ever talked with anyone who has hardened their heart towards God? Maybe you've shared miracles or blessings that have happened to you personally, and they're still not convinced of his goodness. Pastor David is teaching us today about those people who harden their hearts towards the Lord during the tribulation. They're so blind that even these supernatural events that take place won't change their minds. They will blaspheme the only one who can save them in all they'll go through. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 16 with today's edition of The Open Word. temple of the tabernacle was, again, that Ark of the Covenant. And what covered the Ark of the Covenant? What was on top of the Ark of the Covenant, church? Pardon? The mercy seat. Exactly. The mercy seat. Perhaps what's being described here is that suspension of the mercy of God. As the fullness of his wrath is being poured out on rebellious man, they no longer have a chance to say, okay, okay, I give. I give. No, that's done. That's done. You've had opportunity and opportunity and opportunity to repent. Now the wrath of God is pouring out. It will be the outpouring of the full wrath of God who lives forever and ever. So the final end of opportunity, it's come. It's now passed. And so now we move on into chapter 16. Verse 1, John continues. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So one by one, these angels begin pouring out their bowls of wrath upon the earth. We see in verse two, so the first went, poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the, what? The mark of the beast and on those who worshipped his image. So the mark of the beast was the only thing previously that they felt was going to keep them alive. If I don't take the mark of the beast, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to be killed. Sure, I'll take the mark of the beast. They cared nothing about God. 
I'll take the mark of the beast. Then I can buy, I can sell, I can live. I can continue on in whatever degradation my life and perversion my life is. I can continue on that way. I'll take the mark of the beast. Mankind bowed down to worship the beast and to receive his mark in order that they might continue on in their sin. Now those with the mark, they had a completely different attitude, they had a completely different passion and focus than the ones who had been martyred. Because the ones who had been martyred, the word says they did not love their lives, even to death. So those who took the mark of the beast, in order that they might get some temporary comfort, now they're plagued with these foul and loathsome sores. We don't know what it is. Could it be, you know, we look at some of the plagues and some of the things that have gone through, uh, you know, our cultures, you know. I mean, I got Ebola in Texas now. Are you kidding me? That's how quick things can change, by the way. We think that we live in a relatively safe and sanitary society. We all use antibacterial soap and we all almost bathe in stuff so that we can stay all healthy. We all take our stack of vitamins every morning so that we can live like almost forever and be strong and everything. But you know what? It doesn't take but that for our world to be turned inside out, upside down. I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm just saying this is the reality. There's nothing that you can do, really and truly. I mean, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Behave. Don't do foolish things. But God knows the number of your days. Amen? Amen. I just want to, you know, the number that he's given me, I just want to live them as healthy as I can while I'm here. But things can change really quick. And for those that took the mark of the beast, they now have these foul and loathsome sores. Let's move on. Verse 3. The second angel now poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. Now that is environmental catastrophe. That is like, whew, that's, that's like overwhelming. Now back in chapter 8 at the second trumpet, now this is the second bowl, but back in chapter 8, the second trumpet sounded, and it says in verse 8 of chapter 8, something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. But here, the plague is much worse. It says, how much of the sea is affected here? All of the sea. How many of the living creatures? Every living creature in the sea died. Have you ever seen or heard of uh, red algae? Red algae, sometimes they call it a red tide, but science says, no, it's not the tide, it just suddenly comes again. What red tide does, it lets out this toxin that paralyzes the central nervous system of fish, and they can't breathe. They end up suffocating to death. And so really, until it can kill all kinds of various aquatic life, marine and coastal fish, uh, birds, and other organisms, that red algae stuff can do that. When I read this, the sea became red like blood. And I started thinking about that red algae. And that happens. And you know the really weird thing? They know what it is. They just don't know how it comes about or how to get rid of it. They have to, in essence, kind of wait for it to go away. Just another little snapshot, I think, that God is giving us of how fragile life is and how quickly it can change. The death and the environmental disaster, I don't think that we can even begin to calculate on something like that. 
when the whole sea is turned red with blood and every creature that's in the sea dies. Verse 4, Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. Verse 7, and I heard another from the altar saying, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. I wondered about this for a while as I read this. Why, after this third plague, after it's been poured out on man, do these angels suddenly start making these proclamations about the righteousness of God and the righteousness of his judgments? They're saying, in essence, you're righteous, O Lord. You've judged these things. They were the ones that shed the blood of the saints and the prophets. You've given them blood to drink, for it's their just due. Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Let me ask you this, church. Does God need to be justified? No, he is God. He can do anything that he wants to do because he is God. We look and we say, well, according to your word, we know this is how you move. And God, again, is faithful to his word. But he is God. And borrowing from the words of that great theologian, Bill Cosby, (laughs) he brought us into this world, and he can take us out. It's his world. We are his creation. God doesn't need to be justified. But you know what? Man needs to understand very clearly why this judgment is coming upon him. God's judgments are righteous. God's judgments are true. Man continues to ask why, and the angel proclaims the reason, and it's just the very same reason that Belshazzar got back during the time of Daniel with the writing on the wall. What does this mean, Daniel? And Daniel insists and says, you know what? You've been weighed in the balances. You've been found wanting. It's interesting. Belshazzar died that night. He stood before Almighty God, who he mocked not only God himself, but the worship of God by using the vessels in a profane way. There's so much that we could say there, and God required of his life. Was God just in doing it? Absolutely, because he had turned his back on God. We're all the way into the 16th chapter. We're already into the second part of that seven year of tribulation. Man has had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to realize, yes, there is a God, and I need to bow my knee before him. Yes, there is truly Jesus Christ who 2,000 years ago died on a cross, and I need to bow my heart before him. But man continues to refuse, takes the mark of the beast for his own comfort, for his own ease. And now God comes, says, you've been weighed in the balances and you've been found wanting. Verse 8, Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the power was given to him to scorch men with fire. Everybody had to move to Casa Grande during the summer, even the winter visitors. You guys are in the winter. You had to stay here. That's what it was. Given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. Do you realize what he's saying there? 
They blasphemed the very one who had the authority to remove the plague. And he says, and they did not repent and give him glory. There's no place for mercy because man didn't seek it. His heart had grown so hard against the things of God that even in his pain, even when he realizes this is not normal, this isn't just something that's happening, it's not just that I've had a bad day. No, these are things that are coming, supernatural events that are taking place, and yet I'm going to blaspheme the one that's doing it all the way to my grave. Man refuses to turn to God. Instead, he blasphemes the only one that could have ever saved him. Verse 10, and the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. Interesting there. And his kingdom, the beast's kingdom, became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. You ever accidentally bite your tongue? Can you imagine the rest of the body is in such pain that you bite your tongue to take away the feeling of the rest of the pain? I've done that before when you like slam your thumb or something with a hammer. You bite your tongue to kind of take that pain away. I I understand kind of what's going on here. They gnawed their tongues, though. They didn't just bite them. They gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They, again, blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. These are still those that were suffering from that pouring out of that first bowl, those loathsome sores. And this is the last time here in verse 11 that they did not repent of their deeds. This is the last time that we're going to see in the book of Revelation any reference that's given concerning repenting or not repenting. This is it. That's done. The darkness that's been poured out on the throne here, that can be looked at as a physical darkness or a spiritual or even a mental or psychological darkness. The kingdom of the beast, I believe at this point in time, is now really reeling back and forth with the onset of all of these plagues because even the ones that took the mark of the beast, man, they're suffering greatly and everything is total chaos. All the animals in the ocean have died, all of these other sores and different things that been going on. They have no ability to fight against these things. It's supernatural. This severe pain on all men, surrounded by all of this death, all of this destruction, the environmental collapse, and with that comes this economic collapse. I believe that it's a darkness that we have absolutely no way of measuring, just a deep, deep darkness. But you know what? The plagues aren't finished yet. There's two more. Verse 12. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole earth to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. So the river Euphrates dries up. This is also spoken in Isaiah 
In Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah writes that the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. With his mighty wind, he will shake his fist over the river. And whenever he speaks of the river in the Old Testament, it is speaking of the Euphrates River. He says, and strike it in the seven streams and make men cross over dry land. God's done more with greater bodies of water in the past. But this time, the Euphrates River is dried up, not to help his people escape, as he did the Red Sea and even the Jordan River, but not even for any other reason. The river is dried up so that the enemies of the east can come in and invade the land. So who are these enemies? The kings from the east. Well, again, you could read 50 different commentators and get 55 different answers or more because it depends upon when they are writing and depends upon the culture that they live in. Probably the strongest opinion that's come across for a long time is that it would be the army of China, China being able to put up a 200 million man army even now. So some think, well, it must be the Chinese that are coming out. But for me, and I've shared this with you multiple times already, I feel with all that we see currently in our time that it could be an Islamic army very easily. When we see the viciousness of all that's going to take place once we get into this battle in the next couple of chapters, when we see what's going on now, this drawing together of that Islamic nation, the ISIS, drawing that from all around the world. People with passports from the United States going over to join ISIS in order that they can come back and be right here in the United States. And they're already in England and they're, they're in Europe. They're all over in Europe. What would happen if they finally got that one caliphate that is the overall supreme one that all of them would listen to? And they said, you know what, enough of this. We're going down to Israel. You bet. I think that they could man that 200 million man army. Now, we looking at all these and we just going to say, well, for all that we see today, that's just a possibility. Okay. One thing we do see here is that they are controlled by demonic spirits, these frogs, these spirits that come out. I love it when the Bible translates for you, and it says that these frogs come out, but then a little bit later in verse 14 it says, what these are, they're spirits of demons, and they're performing signs which go out to these kings of the earth and the whole earth, and they gather them together. So by demonic spirits, by demonic influence, these kings, or these leaders gather together. And I believe that that's necessary because this one is not going to fight with this one because they don't like each other anyway. But through demonic spirits, they're drawn together to fight against a common enemy. And so I can very easily see how that takes place. These demonic spirits coming from the dragon, from the beast, and from the false prophet, they come together for that great battle in the place called Armageddon. The name Armageddon, it comes from two Hebrew words, Har Megiddo, the hill of Megiddo. The word Megiddo means the place of the troops or the place of slaughter. That's interesting. It was also called the Valley of Jezreel. You guys that have gone to Israel, you've been able from Mount Carmel to look down and see the Valley of Jezreel. It's a beautiful area right now, beautiful farming area right now. But you know what? It's about 14 miles wide. It's about 20 miles long. Napoleon called it the most natural battlefield of the whole earth. Standing again on Mount Carmel, 
you overlook this plain, and you begin to understand why that valley, through the history of man, has been a center of great battles. That was the plain, that was the area that Barak defeated the armies of Canaan back in Judges chapter 5. This is where Gideon met the Midianites in Judges chapter 7. This is where King Saul lost his life in, in 1 Samuel chapter 31. Titus and the Roman army used this natural corridor as well as the Crusaders, as well as the Muslims during their time in the Middle Ages. So all of this, why? Because from the Mediterranean Sea to the Jordan River Valley, that Jezreel Valley is the only place that you can go all the way from the Mediterranean Sea to the Jordan River without having to cross over high mountain ranges. It's a valley that just goes right down through there. Just a perfect place of battles. This natural passage right there. These kings are being drawn there for that battle. Verse 17, then the seventh angel, he poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done, it is done. There were noises and thunderings and lightnings. There was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts. And you think, well, what great city is that? More than likely Jerusalem. The great city Jerusalem divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. And yet men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Let me close tonight with these words from Warren Wiersbe. Every generation of Christians has been able to identify with the events in Revelation 14 through 16. There has always been a beast to oppress God's people, and a false prophet to try and lead them astray. We've always been on the verge of an Armageddon as nations wage war. But in the last days, these events will accelerate and the Bible's prophecies will be ultimately fulfilled. Wiersbe writes that I believe the church will not be on the scene at that time, and I agree with him. He says, but both Jewish and Gentile believers will be living who will have to endure Antichrist rule. In other words, they did not come to Christ before the rapture of the church, but after the rapture, both Gentile and Jewish believers. And they're going to have to endure the Antichrist rule. Most all of them are going to be martyred, but many of them are going to go through a lot of hard stuff. He goes on, he says, the admonition in Revelation sixteen fifteen applies to us all. In Revelation 16, 15, it says, Behold, I, speaking of Jesus, come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Beloved, Jesus Christ can return at any time. We need to live our lives ready for him, looking forward, hastening that day. Maranatha, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Change us from within.
Thanks for spending your time with us today on The Open Word. If you were encouraged by this time together learning more about Jesus and want to hear more, we'd invite you to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes where you can get notified of the latest message as soon as it's available or find archive messages you may have missed. You can even find these teachings online at theopenword.com. There you can learn all about The Open Word and the ministry we're blessed to be a part of. In fact, Pastor David has a special message for you about how you too can be involved in sharing the good news through The Open Word. There really is something deeply refreshing about being a part of God's kingdom. Not only do I get to learn more about Him every time I open the Bible, but He's given me the great privilege of sharing His love with you. This radio ministry and others like it, they're a wonderful and powerful way that God is reaching people across the nation and well, across the world with the gospel. We're blessed to be a part of it. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. Would you prayerfully consider being a part of our financial support here at The Open Word? If you feel led to give, visit theopenword.com and click on the support option. That'll bring you to our secure giving page. Your gift will help us to continue to grow and spread the word of God. Thank you for bringing this matter before the Lord. Thanks, Pastor David. As our time with you draws to a close, know that we continue to pray for you and for more and more people to come to know Jesus through this ministry. Join us next time to continue studying Revelation right here on The Open Word.